and welcome back to From My Mom's Basement. I'm your host, David Chamberlain, and this is episode 34 of the podcast, titled I'm Too Hot, written by myself. Thank you all for listening. I left Albuquerque around 5 in the evening. It was the end of summer, and I didn't feel like driving in the heat of the day. My car's AC was a joke, anyway. I packed a few sandwiches and a thermos of hot coffee and some Doritos. Once out of the city and on the highway, I put on an audiobook that a friend from my recovery meetings recommended, Tony Robbins' Awaken the Giant Within. I like Tony Robbins. A lot of people think he's a joke. I think he's okay. I was on I-40 for only like 20 minutes when sweat started to collect around the brim of my ball cap and then stream down my cheeks. Even in the evening, the desert heat is a killer. The sun is white hot on the high desert plains, and Albuquerque is in the center of a dinner plate plateau, no mountains to cradle and protect it. I glanced at the passenger seat to check on my mom. I was a little worried. Maybe the plastic tube she was stuffed in would melt or something. But she was okay. Her ashes couldn't be affected by the heat. I knew that. They were the result of fire itself. When my mom finally died of lung cancer, I had her body cremated in our hometown. And being that her three other children lived two states away, it was my obligation to convey her remains, her ashes, to them so we could sprinkle them together. I had a long drive ahead of me, something like 14 hours, Albuquerque to San Diego. I was up for it. A simple trek through mostly southwestern desert, basically curving along I-40 for about 780-ish miles, sleeping in L.A., and then heading down I-15 from there. But I didn't enjoy the heat. I never have. I was nervous, too. I didn't know my siblings very well. They're all much older than myself and carry on with careers and lives that seem larger and more important than my own. They're my half-siblings, too, you see. My mother, bless her, was married three times and had five children, two with the first husband, one with the second, and two with the third. And, as far as I can tell, each succeeding husband was a significant downgrade from the previous. The lives of her children serve as good evidence to this theory. My oldest siblings, the two from my mom's first and most healthy marriage, became respectable professionals, doctors of some kind, with large families and second homes in exotic locales, while Andrew, the only child of the second husband, became a struggling HVAC technician with an estranged pill-popping wife. The children of my mom's third and final marriage, my brother Martin and myself, grew to be considerably more wayward souls. After the disintegration of my mom's second marriage, she packed her bags and left San Diego for Albuquerque, for God knows what reason, where she began waiting tables. It was there that she met my dad. I don't remember him very well, my father, but I do remember that he scared me, even as a little kid. He had slippery skin like a reptile's and breath that smelled like gasoline. I won't go into the specifics, but he treated us very badly, my father. Mom left him before I was in the first grade, but the impression he left on us, Martin, my mom, and me, was serious. Something like PTSD or something. I think he was part of the reason Martin and I turned out to be such screw-ups. We both had some anger planted in us. Mean little seeds sown when we were young. Around the border of Arizona, I pulled onto the shoulder of the highway. I really had to pee. Luckily, I happened to stop on an empty stretch of road that barreled through vacant, sawdust-colored desert. I got out of the car, stretched my legs, cracked my back, 
walked about 20 yards into the chalky sand, and unzipped my fly. Laid out before me was the serenity of the desert at dusk, an army of scrub oak twitching in the wind, orange cubes of sandstone looming like stacked boxes on the horizon, and broom-bristle weeds coating every inch of the pink earth. Ancient things that made taking a piss feel taboo. There was nothing but dust and sand and a gray stretch of asphalt that cut the desert in half like a never-ending band of scar tissue. And heat. So much heat. When I got back to the car, I checked on my mom. I unscrewed the cap to her capsule and took a peek inside. Nothing had changed. She was still a little pile of dust as fine as flour and the color of pencil lead. Very strange. It was easy to imagine her skin turning to dust, but to think of her intestines and her tongue and her brain melting and then roasting into charcoal was frightening. But it was all there, I supposed. On the road again, I started to think about the last funeral I had been to, the one for my one full sibling, Martin. He died a handful of years before my mom. Actually, he didn't just die, he was killed. He got caught up in some gang-related monkey business, I never did get the specifics of the incident, and was shot to death. They found him lying in a curb with six bullet wounds in his abdomen. They formed a constellation like the Big Dipper, the bullet holes. His funeral was very sad, and very few people attended. We were never too close, Martin and I, but we had one big thing in common. We had to create our own sense of belonging, our own makeshift families. Martin did that through gang affiliation, and I did it through the bottle. We spent much of our lives bouncing in and out of institutions, prisons, and rehab facilities respectively, never finding solid footing anywhere. Martin wasn't cremated, though. Mom used what little money she had to bury his Swiss-cheesed body. Around 9.30 or 10, a few hours into Arizona, the stars started to poke out their silly little heads. Someone in a recovery meeting once told me that stars made a certain sound and, if you were quiet enough, you could hear their noise. I've never heard them make any noise. A lot of weird people say a lot of weird things in recovery meetings. I was six months sober when my mom finally kicked the bucket, the longest stretch of sobriety I'd achieved since I was in the eighth grade. I'm a wine drunk a wino, and as Jack Kerouac once said, a wine drunk is much worse than a whiskey drunk. I don't know why that's true, but it is. I really wasn't a very good guy for a long time. That's partly why, when I called my siblings to tell them our mom passed, they all answered the phone with a combination of irritability, concern, and standoffishness. They were looking for the first sign of manipulation or of a lie. Each phone call was succinct and businesslike. I felt like a hotel clerk, giving an unappreciated but accepted wake-up call. So, when my siblings called on me to orchestrate the whole cremation, I was eager to prove my newfound sober utility. Douglas, my oldest half-sibling, said he'd pay for my gas and lodging and arrange the funeral ceremony, provided I transport my mom's remains. On the phone, he sounded tentative, nervous to trust me with such a big task. It made sense. I was his useless, alcoholic half-brother. I understood his anxiety. And, because of this, I took the responsibility of transferring my mom's remains very seriously. I had her corpse immediately torched, packed an overnight bag, and started off for SoCal just days after the old lady croaked. She didn't die very well, my mom. It was a really gross and long process that ended with her looking like a soggy, wrinkled booger, hairless and mottled yellow. I didn't visit her in the end. I didn't like the way she smelled and I didn't like the way she looked. She couldn't even talk. I stayed away until I got the call that she died. A long, miserable end to a long, miserable life. 
By the time I was born, my mom was a fat, middle-aged woman who chewed tobacco and drank nothing but sweet iced tea. She was short with stubby, toddler-like legs and didn't walk so much as waddle. She never, in the time that I knew her, held down a job for longer than two years. She waited tables at nearly every single diner, cafe, and grill in Albuquerque, and, when she exhausted all waitressing venues in the county, tried selling things door-to-door. Growing up, our living room was filled with bizarre merchandise, useless things that smelled plasticky or like new shoes, that she intended on selling. She was never successful. She was an angry woman with a pinched face like crumpled paper, who staggered through life in a constant state of confusion, like she was late for an important appointment whose location she couldn't find. When she got cancer, nothing about her changed except her weight. Old photographs of my mom show an attractive, healthy woman, like someone you'd see playing tennis at a country club. But something happened around the time of her first divorce, a traumatic event or a mental breakdown or both, and a deterioration of both her mind and body took place. Whether the divorce caused the deterioration or the deterioration caused the divorce, I don't know. All I know is that after her first husband left her, her life tumbled downhill. About four hours into Arizona, I found myself staring blankly at the road in front of me, the yellow center lines blurring. My eyelids were getting heavy. I reached for my thermos of coffee, unscrewed the lid, and knocked it back. There was no warmth, no liquid. What came out was chalky and thick and dry. I just drank a mouthful of my mom's ashes. The dust filled my mouth and soaked up its wetness. I coughed and a plume of powder blew out of my mouth like car exhaust. It felt like I'd just swallowed a cup of graham cracker dust. I had the urge to puke, but I didn't want to spew my mom's ashes all over my car, so I tried swallowing what was left. It was a struggle. I coughed a few more times. Tears ran down my cheeks. When I got the last of it down, I screwed the lid back on the urn and, with one hand on the wheel, searched for my thermos in the dark. I needed something to wash out my mouth. I found the thermos and sucked down a few gulps of burning hot coffee. The remaining ash in my mouth turned to mud as the coffee rushed in. I gagged and spat hot coffee sludge down my chest. It burned. Just then, a big 4x4, lights blinding and spectral like a UFO, blew past me, its engines screeching. Instinctually, I swerved my car to the shoulder, coffee spilling out of my thermos and on my lap. It was scalding. I screamed and dropped the thermos, unlidded, onto my passenger seat. More coffee spilled. I brought my car to a jolting stop and squirmed around in my seat, trying to take off my pants. Moments later, I found myself half-naked and out of breath and a little dazed, my gums still lined with my mom's ashes. As I sat there, trying to gather my bearings, my chest still on fire, I wondered what part of my mom I'd just swallowed. Maybe it was her eyeballs. Maybe it was her liver or her gallbladder. Maybe it was a little mixture of everything, her lips and her toes and throat and lungs, etc. Interesting to think that a little part of her body was now inside of me. Comforting, in a way. I found the lid for my thermos, which was now half empty, its contents being mostly splattered against the passenger seat closed it, and took a deep breath. Up ahead, a big green sign on the side of the highway said a gas station was close. I needed to stop. The gas station was a truck stop type place, with a ton of pumps, and stood shining in the dark desert like a lighthouse. Nothing around it for miles but sand and cacti, a sea of dried dirt and dust. I came rolling into the station about a quarter after midnight. It was eerie. No one was there. 
There were maybe two other cars, and they probably belonged to the gas station staff. Wincing under the white fluorescent lights, I parked my car at pump number two and got out. It was still blazing outside, probably over a hundred degrees, and I was disoriented. Under the harsh lights of the station, I could see, in full detail, the damage the coffee had done to my shirt and my passenger seat. Coffee stains were everywhere. Giant, poop-brown streaks arced across my seats like blood splatter in a murder scene. Wiping my eyes, I turned and headed into the gas station. It had serious bathrooms with floor-to-ceiling stalls and giant toilets made to serve the bulkiest American trucker behinds. Leaning over one of the many bathroom sinks, which were all spotless bowls of porcelain, I tried scrubbing my shirt clean. The coffee stains didn't budge. I gave up quickly and bought a couple energy drinks. Walking back to my car, I cracked open one of the energy drinks and ran its tingly flavor around my gums, clearing the last of my mom from my teeth. As I neared my sedan, I noticed someone was standing beside it, kind of loitering. It was an employee of the gas station, an older man, who wore a red polo and slacks. He was holding a broom in one hand and a trash bag in the other. He was slightly bent at the hips and was staring into my car's windshield. Uh, can I help you? I asked as I got to my car. The man quivered and turned toward me. He wore thick glasses and had wild, red eyebrows. Sorry, he said. I was just looking. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't be so nosy, but... But what? I asked. Well, that wouldn't happen to be an, an, an urn in your passenger seat, would it? Uh, yeah, yeah, it is, I said. Um, my mom just passed. The man nodded and smacked his lips. I'm sorry to hear that. I shrugged. Uh, yeah, I'm sprinkling her ashes in San Diego. Mm, here it's pretty there, the man said, looking away from me and into the desert. Never been, I said. Well, neither have I, he said. I walked around to the driver's door and set my drinks on the roof of the car. The man started to walk away and then stopped and turned back around to face me. He set his garbage bag on the ground. You know, he said, my mom just passed too. I'm, I'm sorry, I said. Sorry to hear that. He shrugged. We, we didn't sprinkle her, though. She's in a nice urn at my sister's. Personally, I think the whole thing is, is strange. What, what thing? The, the cremating? Oh, I don't know he said, looking off into the desert again. Just the, the whole thing. The whole thing, you know. I nodded. Uh, yeah, sure. When I die, he said, I don't want to be cremated or buried. Well, that doesn't leave you with many options, I said. He picked up his garbage bag again and put it over his shoulder like a sack of potatoes. You know what my mom's last words were, he asked. No. I said, I'm too hot. Then she just up and died. So strange. Well, he said, turning, I hope you like San Diego. Nice beaches, they say. Uh, so they say. <laughs> Good night. The man turned and walked back towards the station, garbage bag on his shoulder. His pants hung low and I could see his blue checkered boxers and some of his butt crack. Strange bird. I watched him hobble back inside the gas station, and then, after he was gone, I just stood there, outside my car, under the brutal gas station lights. 
I can't be sure how long I stood there, but I remember a hot wind picked up and blew dirt in my face, and I remember it tasting just like my mom, and I remember realizing that that old grade school adage was true. The whole earth is nothing but the remains of us all, and every time I breathe in a lungful of dust or get some dirt under my fingernails, it's actually not dirt, but a ribcage or a jawbone or someone's heart. I got back in my car and felt something strange. I unscrewed the cap to my mom's urn and, using what little coffee I had left, poured her ashes into my thermos as though it were cane sugar. I stirred the ashes into the coffee, which became thick, like the consistency of a milkshake, and, once it was all stirred up, took a deep, long drink. The coffee was still hot and tasted crunchy and awful, but felt warm in my stomach, sort of wholesome, pressing cozily against the stomach lining. Maybe I'd just drunk her brain, or her kidney, or her small intestine. In a sort of manic rush, I drank it all, right then and there, making sure to scoop out any remaining globs that were stuck to the metallic sides of the thermos, chewing and swallowing them, too. I suddenly felt hot and nervous, excited almost, but not because of the coffee. Thank you all for listening. That was episode 34 of the podcast, titled I'm Too Hot. This episode was written, edited, produced, and narrated by myself, with the music being by Kevin McLeod. Thank you all again for listening. (laughs) 